Hello, and welcome to the Mill Creek View CEO Special with me, your host, Steve Abramowitz, where I interview the best business people and entrepreneurs. Hello, and welcome back to the Mill Creek View CEO Special with your host, Steve Abramowitz. We are focused on the best business doing good business in America. Today, we are with Jay Bradley Hall. But first, for more information about the CEO special or the Mill Creek View Stable of Podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcast or videos at Mill Creek View. While you're there, please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of the amazing content and pass it on. And thanks for doing it. Brad is a founder and C-level executive who has launched a and nurtured fintech unicorns in 30 plus countries, offering real world insights and guidance into monetizing disruption. Brad has deployed disruptive business models, challenging outdated and often vulnerable incumbents across cultures and geographies, including the CIS, Asia, EU, North, Latin, and South America. Brad has orchestrated $2 billion plus in raises, multiple listings and successful exits, and is now based in Dubai, looking east. Icon Capital Reserves SA was established in 2013 to empower ultra high net worth and family office private clients to create, trade, and reserve value using gold and the blockchain. Icon is built on a foundation of security, discretion, and trust. The company is fully invested in future-proof software and encryption to create Orioles, trademarked, a fusion of gold and the blockchain that insulates holders from currency, institutional, and systemic hazard. Icon has established successful private client relationships in Europe, Asia, GCC, CIS, and the Americas, excluding the U.S., for several years. The Icon Secure Exchange platform was initially built with the colored coin protocol of the blockchain and has been updated now offering Ariels, ERC-20, and Sintamini, ERC-721, as smart contracts on Ethereum. Innovation is in our DNA, and you are only as good as your next success. Icon is one of the handful of strategic partners of Hedera, and early in 2019, the company will be launching Ariels on the Hedera Hashgraph platform, which provides a new form of distributed consensus. The platform is lighting, lightning fast, fair, and secure, and unlike some blockchain-based platforms, doesn't require proof of work. Brad, how are you today? I'm doing great, Steve. Uh, great to reconnect with you and uh, certainly appreciate that intro. Uh, happy to be here. Brad, you and I met quite a while ago. I know you've dedicated thousands of hours to understanding the market of money. Full disclosure, I was an early investor in GoldX. Tell us why you chose gold, what we are told is a barbaric relic and should be ignored as your medium of value. Well, you know, it's it's an interesting question, and it's obviously very topical because it's top of mind for most uh, families now. If you think of the, you know, the creators and the custodians of intergenerational wealth, those that are not just trying to speculate on on you know the value of a token or trying to make a quick return, but are actually thinking about how to protect their wealth. Well, traditionally, um, they've been allocating ten percent of their portfolios to gold. Now, where there's a this is a little bit different is, is in the West, you know, where I'm Canadian. I, I, I spent many, many years in the U.S., as you know, uh, Northern California and Silicon Valley. And then, of course, Southern California. Um, and subsequent to that, 
living and working in 30 countries around the world. And, you know, in the West, we kind of think of the S&P or the Dow. You know, that's our that's how we're thinking about money. And that's an extension of the U.S. dollar as, as a reserve currency. But if you travel around the world, if you're in China, if you're in India, if you're in the CIS, you know, countries like uh, Russia, if you're in Indonesia or Malaysia or here in the Gulf, I'm sitting in Dubai tonight. Um, it's it's quite a bit different. Gold is part of the DNA. In their mindset, gold is how you store value and money is how you transact value. And so what we did is we just came up with a, what we describe as a fusion of the world's oldest store of value. And really, that's been a kind of a de facto or a default for 6,000 years, and that's gold. And we we married that to encryption technology, uh, distributed ledger technology, and we created, as you mentioned, the Oriel, A-U-R-E-L, which is uh, um, basically gold money. So we, we've done that based on research back to Babylon. And so it usually starts, the conversation usually starts trying to gauge uh, somebody's understanding of what money is. And candidly, you know, it, it's not the wealth that may have been accumulated by their grandparents or their parents or themselves. It's, it's something quite different. And so when you begin to understand the genesis of money and what it represents, gold has always played a significant role in that throughout history. And the only place it's really been absent has been kind of in the West where it was, it, was, it was illegal to own gold in 1933. And in fact, that was uh, stayed the case until, uh, I think, 1975. And, and in fact, the dollar was supposed to be uh, exchangeable uh, with gold. And in 1971, uh, Nixon uh, took the U.S. off the gold standard and, and eliminated that convertibility. So Really, for most of the world, gold has been money. Uh, it's the Western mindset that, that sometimes just needs a little education. Wow. How have the uber-rich and ultra-high net worth individuals taken to the idea that dollars or, or their home currency, like Swiss francs or euros, are worthless and gold is their better choice to store wealth? Very topical question. And certainly, as you know, uh, I think you and I met uh, uh, probably uh, close to the genesis of, of ICON, you know, in what was that, 2013, uh, 2014 in, in Cafayete in uh, northwest Argentina, where certainly uh, not known for stable currency. <laughs> and and uh, and subsequent to that, as we were building out our solutions, I would travel and uh, keynote family office events. You know, I do eight to 10 events per year, typically two day events and, you know, would do the first uh, the keynote the first day at 9 a.m. or what have you. And when I began describing this pending uh, fusion of encryption, distributed ledgers and gold that would represent future money, I mean, a decade ago, people thought I was from another planet <laughs> and uh, and they were pretty sure I completely lost the plot. But when I would come back the next year to the same event and then to the next year and, and, and the following year, all of a sudden it began to resonate. And some of the themes we were discussing, uh, you know, a decade ago, uh, the emergence of BRICS and how ultimately the, the real uh, barometer or benchmark would be when uh, the petrodollar, which was launched in 73 to clear and settle, you know, oil trades coming out of KSA in return for uh, military uh, transport. Um, when that when that would come under duress would sort of be the tipping point. And uh, we're now seeing that. And so the reaction I get now is not, wow, you know, uh, did you just beam down from the enterprise more so than 
how did you know? How did you know this was coming? And really, it was just a study of economics, a study of history, a study of cycles, um, you know, complex financial cycles, and trying to anticipate what was coming next. And so in many ways, what's happening now has been baked in for a while and, and almost inevitable. Inevitable. What would happen to the, the commodities market that trade globally like oil and food, unlike, say, natural gas? And is there enough gold on earth to fund everyone's everyday needs? You know, great question. Uh, it, there, is, there certainly is enough gold, but what is going to affect the variable is going to be the price of gold. So if, if you think of, you know, the total value of, of derivatives, and basically all derivatives are, it means non-assets. So if you take an asset and you rehypothecate that asset, it becomes a derivative or it becomes debt. So if you have underlying property, you know, you've got your house. The minute you, you put a mortgage on the house, that's a derivative of the asset. You've added debt to the underlying asset. Now, mortgages become securities, securities become derivatives, derivatives become tradable, you know, instruments. And right now, the estimate is there's about five quadrillion of those floating around uh, that are debt. Now, the GDP of the world is, is estimated to be 100 trillion. I mean, I think that might be op optimistic. The real number might be 50 trillion. So that means you've got 50 trillion of production, which is you know typically asset-based uh, or asset-backed, supporting five quadrillion in debt or derivatives. And so at the end of every complex cycle, that debt needs to be paid or it needs to be written off. And so we're going to see a significant part of that written off. So let's say at least half of that is written off. That's still leaving you two and a half quadrillion against 50 uh, trillion in GDP. And so how do you reconcile that? Well, what's used over history is the price of gold to settle that debt. And so that means that you you multiply the 50T to get to the you know 2.5 quadrillion, and you've got you know 50 times. So it could conceivably take a 50x repricing in gold in order to settle all of the outstanding debt. 50x at, at 2,000 an ounce means you've got 100,000 an ounce gold. Now. What is the final formula going to be? You know, will will half the debt be written off? Will half the debt be cash settled? Will it be forty percent? Will it be sixty percent? You know, that's that's beyond my pay grade. And there's there's parties that are trying to figure out what those ratios are. But gold is certainly not going down. Uh, that's that's a certainty. So if it goes up by an order, our, our, I mean, our calculations when we gave in theory this are that the repricing of gold will be somewhere between twenty x and 200x and somewhere it'll find a clearing range where the price of gold will 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 settle in there and then these debts will be written off and then we'll start a new cycle and when we begin a new cycle we always start with gold so yeah we're going to see uh, sort of a once in our lifetime a, a generational opportunity here to participate in the um, you know in the end of the current debt cycle and the beginning of a new asset based cycle it's it's really if you study history and you know like i used to think my god if i was around you know at the start of weimar uh, imagine the dynasty you could have created and and yet here we are we're right here right now and that's what we're looking at we're looking at a once in a generation opportunity to participate in in the repricing of gold and subsequently, the currencies that will increasingly be gold-backed, um, 
for example, our Orioles are 100% gold back. Uh, we will see countries that will be partially gold back, maybe 40%, maybe 50%. I think we'll also see the emergence of gold reserves coming back, you know, gold in the ground. You think of where I was born in Canada, they don't have any gold reserves in the, in the central bank, but they have a lot of gold in the ground. So we'll see a way to monetize those reserves where you know you'll have tolling agreements and mining companies won't be nationalized but they'll have one buyer which will be the central bank and um and they'll use that as a reserve to kind of you know clean up their balance sheet uh so yeah it, it, interesting times interesting times well if the u.s were to lose the reserve currency status what would the world look like yeah i mean very very good question and just to illustrate that um uh, for example, what we do, we're working with the top five soy producers in Brazil, and they their customers are Chinese. So um, they're pricing soy production grown in Brazil, and Chinese buyers are clearing and settling using dollars. Now, the Chinese don't want to use dollars. The, the Brazilians don't want to receive dollars. And so what we have been uh, proposing for some time is, uh, and it's now gathering steam, is, well, why don't you clear and settle your soy in Orioles. So instead of pricing it in dollars, price it in Orioles, which each one represents a one gram weight measure of gold. And so uh, if you take away the USD and just replace it with an Oriole, uh, that's what we've been working on in terms of a, a trans-border settlement currency. Now, because of the technology that we have evolved over the last 10 years, and it's really evolved quite dramatically. You know, when we started uh, in 2013, we built on top of something, as you, you mentioned at the opening, called the Colored Coin Protocol, which was built on top of Bitcoin. Well, we could clear and settle four transactions per minute, and the cost is in you know 20 to hundreds of dollars. So it really wasn't commercial. As we evolved a bit, we met the guys who were launching Ethereum, and, and they were able to improve transaction speeds to 15, one five transaction, 15 transactions per second, which is, of course, a quantum leap ahead of of four per minute. But when you think of, you know, something like credit card technology, Discover Card launched in, you know, 70 years ago and credit cards today can process 1700 transactions per second. So, you know, you're not gonna disrupt the payment system with the technology that's uh, operating at one tenth or one one hundredth of the speed. So the breakthrough for us, the quantum leap forward was our affiliation with Hedera. And we finished that build uh, last August, in, in August of 2022. And we can now uh, put through 10,000 transactions per second at a cost of one one thousandth of a penny. So we now have commercial speeds and we've, we've lowered the cost down to commercial grades. So what we're able to do is we can move any quantum of Orioles anywhere in the world and they will clear, settle and be irrevocably registered in less than one second, all without going through a bank. And so what we can do is I can literally send from my computer to your, your computer there, I could send you 100 million worth of Orioles, knowing that it's fully gold back, the gold sitting in vaults outside the banking system. And you're going to receive the Orioles uh, with settlement done in less than a second. So it's a very efficient way to store value, but it's an even more efficient way to move value around. And now what we're focusing on is building out the infrastructure uh, to make that available to everyday users sort of on your phone, where you can use this as if it's almost like a bank uh, UX or a bank interface and adding all of those, all of that sort of utility and functionality that it really allows us to become a currency. All right, ancient history. Aristotle defined money as the first two forms of exchange are natural and unnatural. Is cryptocurrency unnatural? I, I think 
you know, of the 30,000 tokens that are out there, 99.9% um, .9 of them are, are counterfeit. They're ledger entries, right? So there's no value. Um, now, having said that, I was living and working in San Francisco in the, in the original, you know, what they call V.1 of the web, which is the original dot-com days. And you, you may recall, or maybe it's before your time, but I'm, a, I'm an old silverback here. So I remember, you know, pets.com going public at, at $6 billion valuation and then being out of business six months later. And, you know, we were investing in all these companies and there was a tremendous wealth creation uh, cycle where you had to have that kind of mania that was creating wealth and drawing attention to uh, internet-based companies. And eventually that that capital found its way onto the you know balance sheet of uh, Amazon, Google, eBay, you know, companies like this. And so in the crypto space, we've had kind of the same thing. We went through ICOs and we went through all of this Turkish bazaar of you know these offerings that were based on nothing and going to the moon and creating a, a somewhat of a wealth factor, which, I mean, that was the IPOs of the 90s, it was exactly the same. But eventually that capital is going to find its way onto the balance sheets of serious companies. And that's our ambition is to be one of those companies and, and that are gonna change everything. And so my answer is twofold. One, I think most crypto tokens today are counterfeit and they're, you know, they're ledger entries. They're claim checks with nothing to claim. Having said that, I think the promise of distributed ledgers and the ability to Im create immutable records that can only be updated by consensus and the value underlying can be exchanged uh, in, a, in a less than one second anywhere in the world, that's obviously gonna change the way we think about how we store, create and trade value. So I would say distributed ledger. Well said, very good. He also said, being wealthy consists in using things rather than in possessing them, for it is the activity and use of such things that make up wealth. How does Icon or Orioles help with this kind of wealth or ability to use it? Yeah, great question. And, and we agree wholeheartedly. You know, it's, it's you, if you can underpin value, uh, then you can establish trust. And so I'm often asked, you know, what do you guys do? Are you doing blockchain? Are you doing gold in the blockchain? Are you creating money? Is it this tech? Is it Web3? I say, no, no, we, we actually do one thing and that is we sell trust. And as command and control hierarchies, which is the centralized hierarchies that dominate politics and, and organizations and, and money implode under their own bureaucratic uh, weight, what emerges is a decentralized architecture that will allow you to transact and replace value. Now, if you're decentralized, it means the emphasis on trust is actually uh, magnified. And so we use a neurobiological uh, chemical reaction in our brains, which we interpret as trust, and we use heuristic defaults in our guts based on our experience to tell us whether we should trust something or not. And so as we move forward at the end of this cycle and into the next cycle, what we do is we provide the trust layer and put the underlying value into uh, vaults that are non-bank vaults around the world, including our Swiss vault, which is you know, inside a mountain with a data center and a private airstrip, very 007. And we do that because you can now use Orioles and understand that there's inherent value, there's intrinsic value, and that allows us to convey trust, which is the latest iteration of technology. It's all ones and zeros. So we've taken business processes, 
We've converted them to digital. We've taken telecommunications. We've converted from analog to digital. Now we're converting finance completely to digital. And the next thing is, is establishing trust. And what we offer is a version of digital trust that's fully gold-backed. And the reason we use gold is because it's been the heuristic default for 6,000 years. It just is. And from our perspective, being good. So how does Icon make money? With Orioles, what we do is we charge a 3% velocity tax. And so when an Oriole moves, that's an upfront fee. Now, 1% of that accrues to Icon's treasury. You know, it's not altruism. We're doing this as a business. 1% is allocated to our, our distribution partners. Um, and 1% is accrued by our charitable foundation, which focuses on nutrition, education, and opportunity for kids. And so what we have is a foundation that's endowed into perpetuity with a self-generating mechanism for funding. So it's 3%. Now, that's transparent. We're also offering the Orioles through an ETF type tracker, which is you know 0% load, 0% management fee. We're, that's been issued out of Switzerland. It'll be listed available on Bloomberg you know, for institutional investors. And what's, what's interesting is that our discussions with many of these BRICS countries that are coming to us and trying to figure out what sort of model uh, they can deploy we say, well, we've spent a decade developing this technology. It's now fast and cheap and, and the architecture's in place. And we're not trying to sell this to you for billions and billions of dollars. In fact, we can donate it to your country and we'll split the velocity with you. So we'll, we'll take 1% of the transaction fees. You take 1% and 1% we agree will be donated to charity. And that charity will be used in your countries to provide you know, for kids. And, and that's a very compelling model for uh, the people that we're talking to, it, it's resonating with them because it's it's not usurping their underlying uh, mineral wealth. It's actually encouraging them to keep more of their mineral wealth locally and just share the transactional costs and fees that we can generate with us. And um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Excellent. World changing. Absolutely. Well, Brad, we are at the end of our time here. I could go on for hours. Please tell everyone where they can find out more about you and invest in Orioles. Well, we're uh, the website is www.icon.gold. And um, our focus right now, we're building some non-custodial wallets, which is just a, a nice way of saying ultra secure bank-like wallets <laughs> where you'll be able to participate. Those should be available before the end of the year for our friends in uh, in Europe. Primarily Switzerland, uh, Liechtenstein, Austria, and Germany. Uh, the Oriel ETF tracker uh, will be available through Bloomberg and traded on the Vienna Bourse, and that's all approved. Prospectus, everything's done. We're just we're just uh, negotiating cornerstone investors for that. So, look for that probably in October. And our uh, U.S. distribution strategies, um, as you know, the last significant remaining friction is in the U.S. marketplace for what we do. And that's, you know, because the CFTC is asserting dominance and they're, you know, taking on the SEC and what have you. So we're talking to our, our smart legal friends about, you know, feeder funds and how to participate in the Swiss fund uh, through Cayman and different offshore structures. And then ultimately, I think we will end up uh, acquiring uh, uh, a banking license in the U.S. and we'll do it distribution, you know, through that, through a regulated entity. Uh, and that's all coming. Um, but uh, once you connect with us on our web presence, there's a, there's a chance to, you know, kind of sign up to keep updated and, and we'd be happy to keep you apprised of, uh, of what we're up to. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's a fun time. Interesting time. Well, good luck 
And this is not a recommendation to buy or sell securities. This is uh, informational only and something that's game changing. So I want you all to be aware of it. And uh, thank you, Brad, and good luck. And stay tuned for my book of the week. Welcome to my book of the day segment where I tell you about a book that I think you'll like and could help you in your business. This time actually relates to our guest, The Ascent of Money, A Financial History of the World. Neil Ferguson follows the money to tell the human story behind the evolution of our financial system from its genesis in ancient Mesopotamia to the latest upheavals on what he calls planet finance. What's more, Ferguson reveals financial history as the essential backstory behind all history, arguing that the evolution of credit and debt was an important was as important as any technology innovation in the rise of civilization. As Ferguson traces the crisis from ancient Egypt's Memphis to today's Chongqing, he offers bold and compelling new insights into the rise and fall of not just money, but Western power as well. That's it for this episode. Really hoped you like it. End of season one. If you like what you heard here, be sure to check out our other shows, the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast hosted by me, Washington hosted by Vincent Cavallari, and Florida with Kat Stansel, where we always have an interesting guest making a positive change in our world today. And please subscribe to the mcview.us website, where I am editor-in-chief, and thank you for doing it. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, CEO of the Mill Creek View, signing off. <laughs>